0: (laughs) hello and welcome to the shock horror podcast well welcome and we're back talking today about a kind of classic that, you know, I ask a lot of people about this film and not Mm -hmm. many people have actually seen it. And that's really frustrating for me because it is so good.
1: True, it is surprisingly good in a way that's very unanticipated because even I had missed this one, I don't know how, but somehow I did and so I am very grateful that you invited me to talk about it and that you welcomed me into something I am so sad I missed for
0: so long. So you got to see it recently?
1: Yeah, for the first time. I watched it uh, just yesterday to get ready for this conversation and I was just, I'm like still feeling very ecstatic ecstatic from seeing it because it felt so original and yet paid homage. It was exciting and
0: I didn't know what was going to
1: happen. It felt really good to be able to watch a movie like this for the first time.
0: Well, I'm actually very jealous that you got to see it for the first time. (laughs) It is one of those films for me where I wish I could wipe my memory and go back to it fresh every time because it's such a twisty turny um film so oh i'm so glad this is gonna be interesting then
1: Yeah, I'm hoping that just like our last conversation about Halloween, we're somewhere in the same universe in terms of how we feel about this. But I always love to hear your takes and your experience. And you have so much more uh, around this film than me. So, yeah, I guess talk to me about why you love talking about it or uh, so. So I don't forget this time. Obviously, we should give a little bit of a synopsis
0: of what we're talking about. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So. Trick or treat, which is very weird for me to say. I suppose it's just trick or treat, but with the big R stuck in the middle of it. So, yes. um, so came out um, mid 2000s, uh, directed by Michael Doherty, and a cast full of stars which a yes. lot of people would recognize, including, of course, Brian Cox, who is now very well known for um, the best. I mean, one of the best seasons on TV, right? One of the best shows. Yes. Yes. We know what we're talking about. We're not going to go into that because I could talk about it for about 10 years. So (laughs) five interwoven stories that occur on Halloween. An everyday high school principal has a secret life as a serial killer. A college virgin might have just met her guy of her dreams a group of teenagers pull a mean prank, and a woman who loathes the night has to contend with her holiday-obsessed husband, and a mean old man meets his match with a den- demonic, supernatural trick-or-treater.
1: Amazing amazing Uh, even the synopsis i'm so sad i never heard this before that i didn't see all that was coming for me because i love that so much is in this story
0: absolutely and this is a very strange one because we've seen a lot of anthology horror movies in the past but we've Hmm. never seen one which is so interconnected you know so there's a lot of scenes that you know a character will be walking down the street and in the background you'll have a character that we were introduced to in the previous story or in a story that's coming next so i love that interwoven element of it it's it's cool and, and it's very comic book as well i mean the opening credits mm. are, pr- are pretty much there to show you that this film is of a comic book style and we have yeah. you know every now and again we have the later or you know, earlier appear in the, on the screen to remind us mm-hmm. of our time frame. So yeah, a really classic way of sort of putting this story onto screen, which keeps you guessing all the time. And it's um, you know, when you're seeing characters that you've already seen killed, and you're like, oh, well, we know what's coming up to them. I think it just add, like adds a little bit of a more of a dramatic tension mm. to the piece yeah. for sure.
1: Well, it lets you go from both the place of, I still don't know what's coming to, ooh, I know what's coming there. And so you get to be kind of a fan in real time of the story that you've just seen because you know it's still going to happen. <laughs> I don't, I'm not really sure how to put it into words, but I agree. There was something really delightful about how this story was intertwined in this such a way that I could engage with it. From all these other angles, I never anticipated.
0: Absolutely. And we're re- the very first story we we're introduced to is a is very sort of, you know, direct, classic horror movie. You know, a lady who yep. isn't a fan of the holiday. She blows out the pumpkin and then something comes and kills her. Very traditional. But from then on, we're introduced to so many horror elements. We've got werewolves. We've got um, <laughs> a vampire. We've got, yes. you know, a kid, Sam, running around with a sort of sack on his head. He's the scariest. We'll get into Sam in a little while. but um, So good. I've just got some little facts here for you. So when it was first written, um, it was, there was 18 drafts of the script written Whoa. for this film. And one theme that crept in along the way was the idea that each of the stories was like a different stage of people's experience with Halloween. So the first story ah. with uh, Dylan Baker and his son is about being introduced to the holiday you know the serial killer with his son where they have to make the lantern yes. out of the of the real head uh the second yes. one with the kids is you like you and your friends yep, like kind of
1: and you're starting to get into it
0: yeah like roaming around without your parents for the first time and then the one with Anna Anna's character like Laurie's character with her friends you know the werewolves it's Halloween in mm. your 20s and it's kind of not really about that it's a bit more sexual you could say halloween at that time of your life (laughs) and then the final story with uh brian cox's character is halloween kind of at the end of your life you know and you become a little bit of a scrooge you know the scrooge Mm. of halloween really you're kind of like oh halloween is for kids
1: Yes. You know? Yes, I'm not in the mood for it anymore. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even think about that, but that is so
0: cool. So yeah, that's the, how the the writer sort of crafted the film to have that overriding arc of everybody's relationships with Halloween throughout their whole life, which I thought was really oh. good. And we were talking about before that the characters of each story, which like are frequently like seen in the background of other stories um Mm -hmm. and I love how that sort of helps with the chronological order of the story you know because you have people dipping in and out of other people's stories so it's how they interact in Halloween as well you know you've got the lady that hates it and then you've got the kids that you know are using it for to torture that poor that poor neighborhood girl who's you know got disabilities you know it's really interesting so exactly yeah the it... way
1: that they were able to pay homage in each of these stories too because it feels like they not only were able to connect to us as people and halloween and the way we experience it but also the clever homage that was everywhere was so impressive to me
0: absolutely and i feel like even though it is an anthology story story because they are so interconnected it does feel like one long story but also i do feel like each of the segments could hold their own if they were an individual 1000%. short film.
1: absolutely i wanted that once we started to get into it i was like damn now i wish each of these was its own movie but i understand
0: <laughs> absolutely so the first story like we mentioned was the um the woman and her husband her husband's obviously very sort of into Halloween, and she is not. She wants to get the decorations down as quickly as possible, and then she ends up sort of... It's almost like she spits in the eye of Halloween, and there she and she pays the price for it. You know, don't mess with That's spirits right. on, on Halloween night. What did you think of that first segment?
1: I loved the open because it really just let me know, okay, this movie is taking itself seriously, appropriately, and it's also a student of horror because it's incorporated everything already also i love that that's sort of where we start because in a way that's kind of the fan of this kind of movie it's going to be a person who is you know in that space of life that's able to get all of the references able to understand all the pieces of halloween and like be meta in a way so i love how that's the story they choose to start with because to your point before i guess they could have started anywhere because they time jump too, which is really clever. What do you think about beginning the story there?
0: I think it's a good place because you do get to see a lot of those characters, even though like the characters are killed off. You do get to see a lot of them throughout the movie. And they deliberately mm-hmm. put her in a very kind of, you know, odd Halloween costume. Her being like the robot. Yep. So she's very easily noticed throughout the film. So I think it's good because it does sort of give you... Like a, a kind of the pace of the film, if that makes sense, because we're yeah. seeing those is brought back in in certain points, so you always kind of know where you are on Halloween night. So I, I like yes. it. Yes, they start. I, it's, totally I it's, agree. It's at the end and going backwards, isn't it? Which gives you like a, which makes it a little bit more exciting, and you have that dramatic irony because we know what's going to happen to those characters, but ultimately. Yes. You've got the point of view as well, sort of sequence in that sh- um, shot as well, you know, which is very Halloween, you know, the original Halloween of Michael Myers walking into the house and going upstairs and killing his sister. You've got that so Sam good. point of view, that homage right there. So I think, mm. that you, you're, I think you're right from that opening sequence. We know as horror fans, you know, the rules have been laid out for us already. And I really yes. liked it.
1: Same. Yeah, I think uh, to your point like about rules. That's such an important part of horror movies is that we need them to give us an established set of rules pretty quickly so that we can have stakes at all. And I honestly feel like when you're making a film like this, that's harder to do because you're going to welcome in the rules of other stories to pay homage to them. And that makes the assignment harder. And so this movie is all that more impressive to me where it's able to have established what's going on so quickly here, but also bring in new original ideas to lay over top of amazing skeletons from the past. You know, like each of Mm -hmm. the stories here also resembles a kind of horror movie that is its own genre. So there's something kind of cool about that too.
0: Sure. And then after that sequence, we go into the principal and the child sitting on the steps. Now, mm. I think it's appropriate to bring this up. And I'm not quite sure if you're aware of this. So the film was originally slated to be released in October 2007 for the Halloween release. Uh, but, without okay. explanation, but without explanation or reason, Warner Brothers pulled the film from the schedule and no rescheduled date was announced. So one reason might have been that the up, the latest Saw film was going to be released mm. around the same time, and Warner Brothers didn't want it to compete. Um, but another reason maybe was that um, it was buried by the studio because uh, of the, um, the possible fallout from the box office from another film, Superman Returns. So they were thinking that the box mm. office was just not performing very well at that time. But um, the film, Trick or Treat, never got a cinematic theatre release.
1: (gasps) No wonder I missed it completely. But also, I hate the studios for behaving like that. That's such so ridiculous. So such a funny thing because horror fans like you and I of course would see. We would tell people. I can't wait to tell more people about this. It's such a shame because it's so much better than, you know, the Fallout film that it was it was taking the, the heat for. Oh, that's so
0: disappointing.
1: Especially so I mean, like not good enough. <laughs>
0: I mean, we, we can't really – I don't really want to bring up Brian Singer, but he was heavily involved in this film. He, like, produced it and directed some of the segments. So, I did and see uh, his
1: name, and I was like, yes. oh, that's
0: rough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, crikey. Let's just pass through that. But it was his production company that produced the film. So there was a brief talk that the film would be released a year later on Halloween 2008, possibly early 2009, which is a really odd decision to release a Halloween movie in the early part of 2009. That would have killed it completely, but they didn't, neither of those release dates materialize. So in the end, Hmm. the film was finally released in October, 2009 straight to DVD.
1: Wow. Wow. That is so disappointing because there's so many great people here. This is such a good movie and it's really disappointing that it doesn't get to have the release or the showing that it deserves to have but I it is a cool classic and they are showing it at the theaters around town so if you want to see this on the big screen it's possible which is really cool you know all these years later
0: so i'm going to make a confession Ooh. the reason why i scheduled this chat at ten fifth at 10 at the 15 past today was because I've just been to the movie theatre to watch it
1: again. So I have actually just been
0: to our local movie theatre to watch it. So I have walked back through the door about 20 minutes ago. So
1: there we go, it's fresh in my mind. And that's what this film deserves. That's what's so wonderful just about film in general is that if, you know, the climate at the time the film is made is whatever it is, ultimately that may not matter if the art itself is allowed to stand and exist in some way. And while I don't love that it doesn't, you know, that it goes straight to DVD originally, I don't really care now because people know what's up with it. They go see it. It lives. It breathes.
0: It's important. But I have to say this to you. Okay, I'm mm. going to pose a question. Do you, mm. this film does something that Hollywood very rarely does? It kills children. <laughs> Do you think that that could possibly have been a reason why they didn't get a theater release and just got a straight to DVD release? Do you think that that element of the of the of the plotting was a reason why the studio got a bit scared to release it theatrically? Mm.
1: I wonder, actually, that is a really good question to pose, and I wonder, because I feel like you're right, those kids are sort of right on an edge where I'm not sure, I'm not sure, but I would say that them being on the edge of of too young and also the subject matter of their story that those two things together could definitely have been problematic just just because while I understand the horror trope of a person with disabilities a group of teens playing a trick on someone with disabilities and then that person coming back to exact revenge on them I know that's a trope it it is pretty hard to watch in this one because it feels really intense these kids are too good at it
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and sense. talking about the the second segment obviously we had the young boy who is You know, smashing the lanterns and eating all the candy. Um, I would say that he is, you know, a right. Maybe
1: worse. I mean, it's quite.
0: Yeah, it's um, you know, and he's poisoned, and he literally. I mean, it's it's a pretty grim scene, and I do think that if I was a studio executive, I would watch that and slightly maybe panic. I guess what confused
1: me about that, too, was because, of course, you know, I'm a first-time viewer and I'm still coming to understand what's going on here. When that scene happened... <laughs> I didn't realize that that kid was going to die for reals. I thought that was a very campy, comical way of showing that, like, he has eaten too much candy and somebody has, like, put, you know, like a vomit something into the candy. And so I definitely thought it was way more harmless until later when he was, like, kind of kicking the kid to <clears throat> to make yeah, sure that Brian I mean... Cox couldn't hear him. That, that I, I am right there with you that, like, I guess it's hard to figure out how much of that's okay, when it's, you know, when it's all in good fun.
0: (laughs) I mean, Dylan Baker playing that part does a really good job of playing the sadistic principal. And there's lots of sort of twists that come out during that scene. You know, you've got the scene where he kills the kid, he drags the kids into the house and then he's burying them. And then you find out that he's got a son himself. And then you find out that he's the principal and then there's, there's loads of twists and turns in that very short segment. But he plays mm-hmm. that part really, really well, I thought. And he sort of carries it through. But when he is, you know, disturbed by Brian Cox's character and he's sort of kicking the child in the grave, which is still alive. I did think that was really, really close to being too far across the line.
1: Oh, pretty rough. Pretty rough. and it's But a great segment. Good. It found a way to be campy enough where I wasn't sure what I was seeing until now, in retrospect, I am revisiting this and thinking, like, mm-hmm, that is interesting. Because especially when he comes downstairs with his own son to make a jack-o'-lantern, and he sort of takes the boy <laughs> by his hair, and it looks like he might kill his own son, too. In that moment, I was thinking, like, whoa, this is pretty dark. Yeah. <laughs> so... I think it is it, it is a little intense, that story.
0: There's definitely undertones there of a frustrated father. You know, he mentions about these wife, the boy's mother dying. There's definitely undertones of, like, coping mechanisms. Like, he's not coping mm. well with his very demanding son. So how does he sort of, you know, take that out on the world? He goes and kills other children, probably fantasizing that they are his own son. You know, there's lots of things <laughs> going on there
1: yes yes and for a segment right again a thoughtfulness that i am always grateful for in the horror genre overall but especially here a a kind of thoughtfulness that is so unexpected in what is ultimately just a segment amazing
0: absolutely well we're going to move on to the next segment now because um i want to make sure that we go through and talk about every segment thoroughly the next segment is We've got the three girls in the changing rooms getting ready for their Halloween night, getting their mm-hmm. costumes on. So we've got one dressed as sort of Snow White. There's one dressed as Cinderella. Um, I can't remember what the other one's dressed as. I think she's got quite a generic keep costume. Keep. Both Peep, that's I it. Think. And then <laughs> the very aptly named character of Laurie. I mean, yes. come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Is dressed as Red Riding Hood, and there's actually, yes. um, you know, there's a scene just before that when they're in the changing room, and there's like a kid with a lollipop who's like peeking through into the girls' changing rooms.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: the the little boy. So that little boy um, was Quinn Lord, who actually played Sam for the rest of the movie. You know, the the uh, the character with the, the
1: little the sack on his guy. Head. Yeah. Yeah. So he actually
0: got to have his face on screen. Bless him in oh, that scene
1: amazing that is so so cute um, just yes. because i wondered was that a kid <laughs> like i was like is that a kid is that like a small sure. person and so it's amazing creepy. that it was a kid how fun mm-hmm.
0: so we've got this story that unravels with them where they are all heading out for a party there seems to be a lot of pressure on laurie from her older sister to lose her virginity uh, or <laughs> so we think on that night what did you think of this segment
1: I mean, I thought it was pretty silly because I'm like, this is obviously something else. This can't be the traditional term (laughs) because all these gals are way too old for that. Not like that they looked (laughs) old or anything like that, but it was so clear that I was like something, there's something afoot. And so I I definitely had my suspicions about this storyline. There was something really fun mischievous about it that made me think they were probably witches at first so it was interesting to see to also be uh have the wool over my eyes here and not really know where they were taking this I mean even as the story continues to unfold in their segment I wasn't quite sure what was happening until like the very end when it really happened
0: absolutely and I just thought that you know I mean we we were sort of signposted to it towards it the whole time with Laurie's uh, costume being Red Riding Hood you know we were kind of mm-hmm. signposts yeah. towards maybe a big bad wolf but then we had intercut sequences of this very sort of dark vampire-like character that was stalking the mm-hmm. carnival and it and he killed one girl um who ultimately turns out to be the principal again
1: <laughs> yes amazing right like what a twist never saw that coming either
0: no i didn't see it so um and then we follow laurie's character through her search for a man and then she turns up to this kind of primal um dance with the other girls around a campfire so and then we find yes, out that they're again brothers.
1: Well, and that's the thing is that, like, they took me, they take us down just as many twists and turns with these gals as they did with the principal himself, because not only does he present as a vampire and kill a woman as a vampire, so I'm thinking, oh, wow. There are real vampires going to be in this story too. <laughs> then they sort of move me through the story to a place where they are at a fire and everybody's in a circle. So it's witches again, but no. Now they're starting to transform, but first in the teeth. So they're vampires, but no, because now they're peeling <laughs> their skin off. So actually, turns out they're werewolves.
0: <laughs> I know. Just they... So
1: many different twists and turns, and I loved it.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. That uh, was really good. So the um the original cut of the werewolf, uh, I think we're going to call it. I think we'll call it the werewolf orgy, just just to be clear.
1: Yeah, in the I forest. Think that's
0: right. Yeah, was cut to Peggy Lee's Fever, which was also uh, playing during the film. But the studio executive rightly suggested the song. Should be something more with more edge and aggression. So in the end, they went for Marilyn Manson's "Sweet Dreams Are Made of These," which I think is a really cool uh, sort of backing track to have to that sort of transformation, which was very the Howling, yes, very Howling. Yes.
1: Yeah good call that's exactly where i was going to was just feeling again like how did they take me down all these pathways and still pay homage they have still found a way to pay homage everywhere we turn it's so fun
0: it is it covers all bases when it comes to halloween tropes which i think is um Why this film is so popular because it doesn't matter if you don't like one story or you're not a fan of a vampire or you're not a fan of, you know, um, a slasher, you've got the vampires, you've got the werewolves, you've got everything coming up next. So I think Mm -hmm. it's um, I think it's really clever in that it covers all those bases
1: for real it's just so impressive i again i like each every uh moment and scene by scene as i watch this i was just thinking like how the fuck did i miss this how is that possible i can't believe it (laughs) i spend so much time trying to watch movies how
0: (laughs) (laughs) so we'll move on to the next segment which is actually my favorite segment i must admit i really really like this and i and you know it is a disturbing sort of story there is a lot of the story which now i don't think you could do but ultimately for me the halloween school bus massacre story is my favorite because of the designs of the costumes
1: yes Ooh, that is not what i thought was maybe going to be your favorite so that's amazing to hear tell me more
0: so yeah so the segment is called um Halloween school bus massacre so like a group of kids visit a quarry and they kind of tell the story of a bus ride gone wrong so as the story begins a bright yellow bus drives down a quiet street filled with you know the autumn colors and the bare trees and when the camera pans out um we find you know that their, it's a, their kids, their parents have put them onto this bus. They are kids with learning disabilities, which I think is oh. the, which is different. I know that is the bit that kind of sticks in my crawl a little bit. Maybe they should have been young offenders or something. Maybe it maybe have been a better way to Please. go, Anything. but um, yeah. And then we find out that the bus driver has been tasked with killing them all uh, yes. by, by their parents.
1: Man, these are some good parents, good people we got here.
0: Absolutely, first class, top notch Christian parents. Um, <laughs> so, so the driver chains them up, um, and very oddly chains them up, and then throws them a piece of candy, which always disturbs me for some reason the fact that he just sort of locks them up knows what he's gonna do but just gives them you know like a lollipop just to kind of go sweeten the deal a little bit it's a bit strange Um, it's
1: very very gross
0: but then there is um you know things don't go completely to plan and the bus is driven off the edge of a cliff and they all drowned um we think also the driver drowns but it turns out that he does escape which ties into a story later that we'll get to so when they're on the bus i honestly think the costume design the halloween costumes that the kids are wearing are so well done and so creepy Mm. you know what did you think about that
1: Yeah, I was thinking about when I was looking at each of those masks, I was thinking like, wow, what a sad thing it is that like each of these masks is now used because they're so good that they could each be a different uh, um, villain, you know, like they could have each been the masks worn in each of these stories. And I knew that the bus crash could be a significant connector. And I wondered by this point of the storytelling, how it was going to connect. And so for a little while, I thought I'm looking for those masks. Now wherever those masks are, I'm gonna see something because they've just, they were so special and so very creepy. It's like how do designers come up with this stuff? especially when I was looking at some of those masks on the kids on the bus. I was like, geez, I wish I had the imagination to come up with these amazing, subtle variations that just push it over the top to next level creepy.
0: Absolutely. And you're thinking, obviously, those kids have been at school and had a mask making class and they've come up with that. And you're thinking, well, they are obviously darker in other ways that um maybe they (laughs) should all be on the bus together but um i don't know whether you noticed but as the bus was driving down the road it is passed by a bright red plymouth fury um (gasps) with the number plate christine
1: oh shit i missed
0: that yes (laughs) which was a a homage to uh, obviously John Carpenter's film, Christine, who is, um, you know, sort of nodded to throughout this uh, film. We mentioned at the beginning, you know, like sort of the point of view camera work that was from Halloween. So there's quite a few nods in this. And um, actually we'll get onto it in the next segment, but the Brian Cox's character, Mr. Krieg, his look was actually based on... John Carpenter. John Carpenter's look at the time.
1: That's amazing.
0: But yeah, so this sequence also has you, you know, the kids going down to the quarry. We've got the whole the thing I really love about that sequence is the tension with the elevator. Yes. It's such a good way to do it because you have like the elevator going down, you're not sure if it's going to come back up. It does. You know, the kids get in, they go down and they see they're friends but they're just sort of just lights in the distance it's really well directed this sequence Very I think cool. it's the best directed out of them all and you know it turns out that the kids are there to play a prank on a local girl who or who has learning disabilities as well and they pull they pull off the prank they scare her during the prank she gets hurt and at that point we actually realize that that the kids who were killed in the bus crash have actually come back and that to me is the scariest moment of the film for me
1: oh I love it I I just love that it's like exactly what those kids thought they could scare someone who takes it too seriously with is the thing that ultimately gets them too because you know her knowledge of these things I think is is part of what helps her be ready for it and what helps her ultimately be like see you later guys (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly i do like that she kind of she just sort of walks off like isn't necessarily you know evil by any means but just understands that like halloween is sort of about getting revenge if if you want it to be and it's kind of funny it is kind of funny how uh they the the thing they thought they could scare someone else with turns on them in this way
0: sure i mean what is that your opinion then on why she left her friends or were not really her friends her her, you know, peers down in the quarry. Is that your, your thinking of why she did that? Because it's very ambiguous to why she does that.
1: I guess I figured it had something to do with her. Maybe she was the witch. Because I guess I was looking for some of the staples to be there too. And she was wearing the little witch hat, and she knew all the legends and about the uh, child sacra or the human sacrifices and stuff. So when, I, when that started happening and she pieced out, I thought maybe, like, you know, you sacrifice these kids and then these, these zombies, when they, come, when they wake up every Halloween, they'll leave you alone. You'll be
0: safe. Sure. I, just, I didn't know whether she had some kind of connection with the kids that were killed on the bus, whether there was um, some kind of sympathy there from her because of her um, own challenges Experience. in life. Yeah, yeah, so there's I mean, it's very ambiguous, but I actually quite like the it's fact cool. that there are many reasons why. But um, I just love that segment, and for me as well. Um, and i and we've talked about this on previous discussions. I love practical effects, and the practical effects yes. in this film are spot on. There's, I don't think there's any CGI in this movie at all.
1: Good, that's the way it's supposed uh, to be, and you couldn't exactly. I couldn't tell either way, and that's even better.
0: And I think that that makes the decision not to release this theatrically even more baffling for me because so much money must have been spent on more of the practical side that it must have had a hefty budget to do that. There was, you know, because sure. at that time, 2007, 2008, CGI was kind of being used to cheapen up the films to make them you know, more profitable, but this is 100% practical, which works so well. And those mm-hmm. creatures, the, um, you know, the the zombie versions of those kids coming back, wow, I mean, that to me is the scariest bit. It really is. It terrifies me. Oh, so
1: good. That looked amazing, you know, it was exactly as tight as it needs to be to make you feel like you'd actually only been watching this movie, so I think that's also a secret weapon of this story and how good it's woven together is that they all feel like their own movies. so you forget the other parts and then you're like oh yeah that's right that's happening here. And in that moment when they are waking up, it's gripping you and you totally forget this is an anthology of any kind. You know, you're like, oh no, it's this part of the story. And they did look pretty awesome.
0: Absolutely. And then we move kind of into the final chapter of the movie, which is the um, Brian Cox segment and Sam segment. Can I just yes. can I just point out here? I know I mentioned it before with the the bus mm. kids, but how cool is the design of Sam?
1: Amazing! I A had seen boy. that. Yeah, I'd seen like keychains of the little pumpkin boy. I'd seen like some swag of this character, and I had no idea where it <laughs> came from. And now I'm like, oh, duh, it came from here. Of course, it's from somewhere. It's so cool looking because it's sort of cute. And I kind of love that about it too, is that it's not quite just deranged. It's like kind of cute and deranged.
0: Absolutely. So the character of Sam, um, this is directly from the writer. The character of Sam is derived from Samhain, the ancient Hmm. Celtic festival of the dead from which modern-day Halloween is derived. So that's where his name comes from. Let's go. So, yes, he's like, you know, sort of the physical manifestation of Halloween, of the festival itself. Amazing. We're not quite sure whether Sam was responsible for killing the young girl at the beginning of the film, but he definitely goes hammer and tong on Brian Cox. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes.
1: And I do He's like out to the torture. Him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like I like the vibe, too, because I don't know if you've seen David Cronenberg's The Brood, but they're sort of like little children killers running all around. And they're not exactly children, but they're kind of ch- childlike. And I was getting serious The Brood vibes when I was watching Sam because he was just such a relentless little swarm of a monster. But again, so small that you're sort of confused about how scared you should be. And I think that actually makes it scarier.
0: <laughs> Do you know what vibes I got? I got total Chucky vibes.
1: Yes, of course. Chucky as well. There's just something about when you're not sure what is happening.
0: Yes. (laughs) And
1: I feel like, especially in that final sequence, there were some moments where I wasn't sure what was happening. And I feel like even Brian Cox was able to sell like, what is this creature? What is this thing? Uh, I loved it.
0: Well, there's a moment when you think that he's overpowered Sam, and he's got his shotgun, and he's shooting him, and he blows his hand off, and you think, mm-hmm. "Oh, okay, so he's overpowered this little thing." And then, um, and then you get the moment when he's the hand comes crawling across <laughs> the floor, and and then Brian Cox says, "Oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me," which is obviously a um a nod to John Carpenter's The Thing. Yep, you know delivered yep. by kurt russell you gotta be fucking kidding me so yes so <laughs> um another little nod there but i love that sequence and the sequence as well when sam is unmasked and he is yes. just a demonic pumpkin boy uh was so well done
1: epic epic so cool and i think I think this one is my favorite sequence because of that. Because while the others are so good, I, you know, those are characters we know about. Those are some, uh, the usual suspects, if you will. And a demonic pumpkin boy. That is a new thing I did not see coming. Did not expect to be so afraid of. And really, really liked. <laughs> really, really, I really liked. liked
0: it as well. So, Michael... Uh... I, I, I can't, don't even know how you pronounce his last name. I've been doing it Doubtery da, or, or, or mm. I just call him Michael. He's still yeah. figuring out, he said he's still figuring out Sam's origin story. And he says Sick. that if they ever got round to making a sequel, he'd love to show him being born in a pumpkin patch. Fun. And... You know, there's a great, he says there's a great Charles Adams painting of a pumpkin patch and if you see like hundreds of pumpkins and mm-hmm. you see one and it's carving itself. So you're, you know, you're sort of getting that idea of this pumpkin sort of in a patch creating itself, which I think is a really cool image for the birth yeah. of Sam. So, yeah, that's a really wow. cool idea because we don't know where Sam came from. Um it was hinted at a little bit that maybe he was one of the kids from the bus crash, but he's not because he's a little pumpkin boy. So, yep, yep. The thing that really threw me a little bit with this segment was Brian Cox's heavy breathing <laughs> to begin with. I
1: thought <laughs> yes. it was very
0: strange, but then I realised yeah. the big the big twist of this this segment is that Brian Cox was the driver who killed the children mm. on the bus and if you go back yes. and you listen to when he, the driver pulls himself out of the water he's got that heavy breathing thing going on that Brian Cox then carries on into his segment so it's yes. very linked. I think little tiny things like that that just make the whole experience much more enjoyable.
1: Exactly. Just, again, a level of thoughtfulness that the horror genre is often capable of because it pays so much homage to each other, but also that just is what makes a movie good in general. And this film did not pull any punches. It thought about all the moments. It thought about all the pieces. It thought about what we may or may not think, and it gave us something to chew on decisively, at the very least, because even in a moment when you're like, what is this strange character choice? Is this just like an actor making a random choice? No, (laughs) it's written in because appropriately you need to know where this person was before. So good.
0: Absolutely. I completely uh, agree with you. And um, so I just wanted to say that on the 2nd of December, 2nd of September, sorry, this year, Mm um regal cinemas announced on twitter that the film would be getting its first ever theatrical release release so um trick or treat at the cinemas now is the first time it's ever been shown on the big screen
1: wow so this is the first year even i guess i yes. thought when it was showing i was like oh i guess maybe they do it every year i i figured it was already a thing that's amazing that it's this year let's go
0: well this year is its 15th anniversary so okay. that's why they decided to do it, to do it now. Now, not to get anybody excited, and if you just want to bear with me one second, I'm just going to try and get up this interview. But um, Ooh. for a long, a long time now, there has been um, word of a possible sequel. Ooh, I could get down with that. So it has, I think, been officially hinted that a sequel is going to be moving forward. And okay. obviously, we don't know any of the story. So, and it has been kind of hinted at before that there was a sequel, but it never kind of mm. materialised. Um, yep, if anybody... If anybody loves podcasts, you obviously do if you're listening to this one, but also (laughs) there is a great uh, podcast called Development Hell where um, the host talks about films that have been in development hell for a while, mainly horror films, and they do a great episode about uh, Trick or Treat 2. So it's only in 2019 that um, Michael, the writer of trick-or-treats shared an update on the sequel in an interval uh, in an interview revealing the possibility of it happening is still up in the air but this Mm -hmm. year he has announced that and I do believe that it's probably going to be based upon the audiences and the money that's made on its theatrical release whether it could possibly go ahead so Mm -hmm. everybody out there If it's showing in your town, go and see it. If you haven't seen it before, you're in for a treat. And if you have seen it before, just go and support it. Because I think the more people that go and watch it in the theaters, the more chance there is for Trick or Treat 2.
1: Yes. Oh, that would be awesome. I'm going to definitely try to go see it in the theater out here because I love seeing a retro screening. So I am definitely going to try to see it. And again... I'm just so grateful that you suggested this and invited me to talk about it with you because I am so glad I saw it.
0: Fantastic. Well, there's only one last thing to do then, Shani B, and that is to give it pumpkins out of five. What are you giving Trick or Treat?
1: Trick or Treat is getting five pumpkins for me. It's up there oh. as one of my favorites. It's it's my a goodness. staple as far as I'm concerned, like with all the all the important ones you know it has everything it's supposed to have and it sets the tone in the 2000s which is kind of hard to do so i'm giving it 5 pumpkins what about you
0: i give it 5 pumpkins i absolutely love this movie i think that it has got everything that you'd want in a for a good night out it's scary it's funny it's clever. It's got loads of little nods to previous movies. If you are a fan of horror, then this is literally like a homage really like... movie for you. It's totally yeah. for you. And please go and see it. Please go and see it if it's released near you in the theaters, for sure.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I have to dip, because I'm gonna go see Tar right now, so.
0: Yes, <laughs> I know, I'm,
1: I I'm gonna wish
0: you luck. And we're going to be back very shortly, guys, with loads more chats about some classic horror movies and, of course, reviewing the more modern releases. So please, can come and join me and Shannon when we're back on? We will release our schedules in good time.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you again. Love speaking with you as always. Thank, thank you for listening. And I cannot wait to do this again. So have a lovely week. And I'll talk to you soon. You too.
0: Happy Halloween.
1: Thank you. Same to you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. <laughs>